We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Galatians 4. Galatians chapter 4, as Paul continues on, he's reminding those who have come to know Jesus, those who are saved, so this is written to believers in the church, that they've been adopted. And this is the chapter that speaks most clearly about that. They've been adopted into God's family, whereas before they were not. goes without saying, but what's happened is they've decided to go back to the orphanage. And it doesn't make any sense to Paul. He doesn't know why they're doing that. And so he's trying to bring them out, trying to show them through allegory, through examples, uh, all sorts of ways to teach them that what they're doing is a foolish mistake. They're not adding anything to their life. They're not enriching their walk with God at all. They're actually harming it. And he'll hopefully uh, get that across to us today as well so that we ourselves are protected from becoming Judaized or becoming Judaizers. Both are dangerous. Last week we left off uh, at the end of chapter 3, but I want to back up a little bit because the thought of chapter 4 can, starts off in verse 26 of chapter 3. Paul goes, for, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from the slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Paul reminds us there in that part, Abba, Father, that God has authorized us one name to call Him by. We call Him Lord. We call Him all sorts of things, King and all these things, but those are titles. Those show respect. The most important name he's given us to call him is Father. And we must not ever forget that. A father. He's our father. He's our dad. He's our daddy. If you're one of those people that calls their father that. Some are more formal. Some are less formal. But God in heaven, it's not disrespectful because he's authorized us to call him father or dad. Most important thing when we're singing these songs to remind ourselves that we're not singing to get a hold of some distant being who doesn't even barely acknowledge our existence, but with arms raised up like a three-year-old child reaches up for their father to get picked up, to have fellowship, to be comforted, to be held, to know that they have that peace in their hearts. That's how we sing to our father. Those songs are meant to be sung to a parent, to a dad. And Paul is reminding of them of this. When he says adoption there in verse 5, he's reminding them that they were under the law beforehand. The beforehand, in, and anytime you've seen a movie or in a, read a book about an orphanage, how do they portray the orphanage more often than not? 
cold, dark, rules and regulations, long halls full of beds, very impersonal, loveless even, colorless, lots of rules, lots of consequences, but definitely no one would categorize it as a family. And Paul's reminding them, God has adopted you out of that. He's taken you from that. And now you're in His family. And everything's changed. Now you're loved. You have a loving Father around you all the time. You have color in your life. He recognizes your individual characteristics. He doesn't see you as a, as a troop or a, a soldier or as a, a slave or a servant. Someone who's going to benefit Him. He sees the beauty of you. He sees and gives you liberty. By liberty. You can walk in and out of the house. You can go to the refrigerator whenever you want. The meal times are probably a little subjective, you know. At our house, they're definitely subjective. We, we tell the kids, the kitchen's closed, you know. It's, it's up to you now <laughs> to get what you want. But they're authorized to go into anywhere. They don't have to ask permission. There's no locks in the fridge or in the pantry. They don't have to, you know, wait and go hungry until they just walk up and grab it. That's the liberty we have in Christ. And then we also have that beautiful grace. It does not come at the orphanage, but is very, very obvious in God's family. And that's what we love, and that's what we hold on to, that unmerited favor, that love. I've got a video on my cell phone. Only a weird parent would put a video of his cell phone of his three-year-old son throwing a tantrum. He was outside having the greatest time, hair dripping with sweat, sun-beaten face, bright red, you know, just having a great old time out in the yard, but it was dinner time. And I'm out there with him. I said, Bo, time to come in for dinner. And he looked at me and he just went right back to what he was doing as if I hadn't said anything. I said, Bo, Bo, it's dinner time. We got to go in. We got to go in, buddy. And he just kind of looked at me. And I, it was one of those moments where I either go get him or I just walk inside. Of course, keeping careful watch through the windows. But so I walk inside. You're going to have to follow me, you know. And I walk out the window and I look and there he is. The walk of shame. Just stomp, stomp. And his little lips, this is his new thing. He just does that. He's mad. Bright red face, just mad. And so a father pulls out his cell phone and begins to record him through the window. And I can show it to you later if you want. And I'm just laughing. And I put music to it, theme music, na, 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 you know, and I'm doing it. And I'm just laughing. Not that he's rebellious. He's doing what he's supposed to do. But man, he doesn't want to do it. And I'm following him. And then just when I think it's only me who thinks this is cute, my wife says, look, his lips are pressed against the glass. Get it, get it, get it, you know? So she's on board with this whole videotaping, and I come up to the glass, and he's got his mouth smashed against the glass, just in full. Only a father or a mother who absolutely loves their kids would ever want to film something like that. Everybody else is going, you know, if that was my kid, or I'd spank him, or I don't know what it is. Like, no, this is, it, it was almost endearing to us. It was just like, look at that little guy. He's just struggling to fight for obedience. He doesn't want to do it, but he's doing it. Look at him go, you know. I wonder how many videotapes or video files my Father in Heaven has of me doing the same thing, you know. Uh, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> you know, he's looking at him, he's trying. I don't know. Our Father in Heaven loves us, and He calls us to call Him Father. And Paul says, why on earth are you going back to the orphanage? 
What attraction is there of that? Do you think that makes you more endearing to your father? Do you think that makes you more lovable by him? Do you think you're enriching your relationship with your dad by going back to the place that was nothing but rules, regs, colorless, hopeless, only there to tell us what was wrong? If you remember when they were walking, they they had half the folks on top of one mountain, half the folks on top of the other mountain. The other guys would yell out the rules. The other guys would yell out the, the wrath that would come if you didn't keep the rules. That's all they got with the law. Here's the rules. Here's what happens if you don't keep them. Here's the rules. Here's what happens if you don't keep them. Why would you want to go back to that? Paul says, you're sons of God. And God has given you the spirit of His Son who's crying out, Abba, Father, because we wouldn't know how to do it. We wouldn't know what to do. A lot of us have grown up in families, I wouldn't say I did, but maybe you have, and I don't want to assume everybody's had a beautiful childhood. It's had a wonderful, loving father and mother that's always looked out for their best interest, always self-sacrificing and giving, as we should be as parents. But, Because we don't come from those homes a lot of times, because we don't really know what that's like, maybe your house was a little more like an orphanage than it was like a loving home like it was supposed to be. Our Father in Heaven gives us the Spirit of Christ so that we know how to respond properly to His love, to His affection. This is what it looks like. This is what a real family looks like. This is what I always intended every home to look like. This is is how it's supposed to be. And some of us just sit there in awe of His grace, in awe of His mercy, in awe of His love. In fact, a couple times they write that out. What love is this? Paul had never experienced that before as he tried to attempt to please God through the law, through the keeping of the rules. He could never get that. And all of a sudden, he's just given this favor. I've just got the last name of the Father. I'm an heir with Christ. Hello, lottery, you know. That's the best way to describe it. You've won the lottery. This is, this, is, this is a story. This is a movie where they come in and say, look at this poor desperate child who is destined to live in this orphanage forever. And in comes this father and says, that's the one I want. Having no idea what kind of kid this is. Having no idea whether they were a good kid or an obedient kid. His love was just set upon this child and says, I'm taking you home today. And he's done that for each and every one of us. That just blows our minds. And then he gives us the Spirit of Christ so that we know how to respond to that kind of love. It's amazing. Now he goes on in verse 8. He continues with the word but. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those things by nature are not God's. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. And the word labored isn't worked. It's meant like giving birth. And he'll clarify that later on in this same chapter. I've given birth to these churches. Paul took it very personal that these churches were no longer following after what he taught them. No longer following the Christ that loves them. No longer you know, going back to these things because these Judaizers has come in and said, no, 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 you've got to also be this. Then you can be adopted. You've got to have this and that. It was an an addition. You've shed the old and you've embraced the new. We're telling you, you need both. And 
Paul's saying, no, absolutely not. They're weak and beggarly in comparison to what you've given. They don't complement one another. It replaces the other with a better. It'd be like, anybody have the old television sets with the big, it's the big box still? We have one, you know? And then you get a plasma screen and you put it on top. One's the 4K kind with the curved screen. I don't know if you've seen those yet. They're amazing. We don't own one. We'll never own one. But it's like setting that on top and turning on the lower one to watch the game. What, what are you doing? I, don't know, I just want to reminisce, you know? you know? With the pliers hanging off of it, thunk, 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 you know, dialing the lower one. Anybody have one of those? UHF, the VH? Wow. I mean, that's the idea. Weak and beggarly elements. And he gives us some examples of those things. You observe days and months and seasons and years. You're going through the old way, the, the feasts and the Sabbaths, and, the, and the, you're going back to what Jesus Christ replaced. Those all spoke of him. Those were all foreshadowing of what he was going to do, and now he's here. You're going back to those things. Why? They're weak and beggarly. They, they pale. We've used that example a lot. It's as if you've gone on a vacation and you've taken a picture of your wife with you or your husband. And every night you look at it and you kiss it and you say goodnight to it, you know, you wave, blow a kiss, you go to sleep, you wake up, you look at it. But when you're back home and you're at the gate getting off the plane, there she is or there he is, and you're still staring at the photo. And they're there going with arms wide open, come, 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 come. Oh, so good to see you again. Oh, you know, as you kiss this picture, how ridiculous. We laugh because that's just ridiculous. That's what they're doing. You're going back to the things that were to show you and remind you of the one that was coming, and now he's here. Colossians is very clear on that, but we won't go there today. Brethren, brothers, uh, you know, you could almost hear his passion. I urge you to become like me, for I have become like you. You have not injured me at all. I'm not hurt by this. I'm not, my ego's not damaged. I don't feel like, you know, I've got to, you know, gain you back for my well-being. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. That was the kind of warm welcome you gave me. It was as if Christ was standing before you. You know, Paul was totally blessed. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. You were that compassionate, that loving towards me, that affectionate towards me that you saw my eye problem, you saw the struggles I was going through, you would have given me your own eyes. You would have donated your eyes and gone blind for my sake. What, what's happened? He goes on to say, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Don't you remember how we used to be together? Why are you all upset with me now? What's happened? The Judaizers have come in. The Judaizers have added to what Paul taught them. The Judaizers have put a wedge Here's the thing. When we started off this morning, we talked about our Father in Heaven and we sing these songs. It's one thing to talk about our enemy, Satan, people out there doing that. It's a whole other thing when someone comes into the family dynamic and tries to break that up. That's too close for comfort. That is too personal. That is not allowed. We can talk about all these things. We can even have different opinions on how to go about 
But as far as the family goes, as far as my father and my relationship with him, my son, these guys have come in and said, ho, 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 that's enough of the hugging. That's enough of the kissing. That's enough of the affection. Let's get back to where we used to be here. Let's get back to where there was a priest in between you and him. Let's get back to... And all of a sudden, you've got this orphanage director showing up again into the home saying, I'll, sh- I'll talk to the child for you. And the child said, you know, tell me, I'll, I'll let them know what you've said. I'll put it in your file, basically. I tell you what, there's one thing God hates. It's the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And the deeds of the Nicolaitans are people over the laity. In other words, if you have to go to somebody else to get to God, God doesn't like that. He came for a reason. He sent his son Jesus for a reason. We have one mediator between God and man, and he is the binding tie. He ripped the veil from top to bottom. We don't need any more priests anymore. We don't need anybody in between us and him. It's a beautiful, loving relationship. I don't need you, orphanage director. You can go on your way now. We're done with you. Don't bring them back into the picture. You've brought this in. You're messing with God's relationship with his kids. That's why Paul's so upset. It's not okay. It's not something to overlook. It's not, you know, oh well, you know. It's huge. Have I become an enemy of yours because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. Zeal is fine as long as it's correct in the right doctrine, you know, in the right direction for a good thing. This isn't a good thing. This is manipulation on their part. This is uh, withholding affection, basically, is what they're trying to do. Anybody try to give their spouse the silent treatment? That's manipulation. Ever try to withdraw affection from your spouse or from your kids even? God forbid you should do that because you're trying to change their behavior. You use it as a bartering chip, basically that maybe I can get to change their behavior if I withhold from them, and then once they obey me, then I'll give it back to them the way it should be. I'll go back to the relationship. That's the law. That misrepresents Christ in your home, especially with your kids. God isn't like that. When I was looking up these words, I I was going to use the words alienation of affection, but that's really not the term that would be best for this. Alienation of affection is where it's actually a lawsuit against a third party in the marriage. It's the adulterer that's come in and broken up the marriage. That's the alienation of affection. That's the one that's broken it up. And they actually file lawsuits in five states against that person and win, apparently. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is these folks say, if you want to have fellowship with us, you need to do this, and we're not going to talk to you if you don't. You no longer get to go to the temple. You can't do these things. You can't, have all, you can't have access to God, basically. They begin to woo them by telling them we can't hang out with you until you change, basically. It's manipulation. It's a very dangerous place to be. It's not meant to be that way. And since our Father in Heaven isn't like that with us, He gave us grace beforehand. He died on the cross while we were still sinners. He tells us that we're supposed to love our enemies, that we're supposed to give them food and drink. We're supposed to bless them when they curse us. When I was looking up these verses or these, these words here, that was, actually the, that was actually the solution of the psychologist. When this is happening in your home, he actually wrote this. 
This is just one. I'm sure they're not all like this. But it was pretty funny that he couldn't see it. When your spouse is doing this to you, as he's described this alienation of affection, or as he's described this manipulation taking place in the home, when they withdraw, when she withdraws, when she does this, he says, just don't pay any attention to them. Remove yourself from the situation. Go for a long walk. Don't respond. And at first you're like, yeah, no, it's tit for tat. He just told them to go ahead and manipulate them back. Just do that. How can you give that advice? And this is from a Christian counselor. If that's not the advice God gives us. There's a conflict there. And when your words don't match up with God's words, then your words go out the door. My response to my spouse who may or may not be doing that to me is to love them and shower them with love and affection and attention to minister to them like God does with me. God doesn't go to another part of the universe when I'm being a brat, when I'm not praying, when I'm mad at him. He's right there. He's with me in the room. He wants to talk to me. In fact, proud of me and still blessing me. That's the hardest thing to get over with God. Why are you still blessing me? I'm mad at you because I love you, you know? It's that videotape of the little kid who's probably mad at me for telling him to come inside, but it doesn't change my affection for him. And I'm still going to engage him and interact with him and love him and bless him and feed him, clothe him, hug him, kiss him, even when he doesn't want it. That's my favorite time to do it. No, you know. That's our father's response. My little children, Paul says to this group of folks, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Now, he's not changing his tone to be more stern. He's changing his tone so they can understand his heart for them. That's why he says it the way he says it. He doesn't say, you little brats, I wish I could change my tone with you. He says, my little children. That's a way of saying I love you. That's what you mean to me. That's how I feel about you whom I labored in birth again until Christ is formed. I am laboring over you, desiring you to have that relationship with God like you used to. I want that so badly. I wish I could change my tone with you. I have doubts about you. I'm concerned you're going the wrong way. You know. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? If, remember Jesus used to say that to the guys? Have you never read? That's all they did. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they just read the law constantly and they're trying to challenge them on the law and Jesus would go to them and say, have you never read? That's all we do is read. You know, it's supposed to be kind of a dig. That's what Paul's saying. Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by, the bond, by a bondwoman, that'd be Hagar and Ishmael, the other by a free woman, that would be Sarah and Isaac. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is uh, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now, we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. 
But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Do you remember the story with Ishmael and Isaac? It was Ishmael was 13. Isaac was, we don't really know how long, probably five-ish. He was being weaned at the time. And Ishmael began to make fun of him at his weaning party or at his you know, little birthday celebration thing. It was a big transformation day for Isaac. There's Ishmael, the 13-year-old teenager, being a brat, you know. And it infuriated Sarah. And said, get rid of them, both of them. Of course, Abraham was like, oh, you know, did you hear my wife? She wants me to get rid of that. She wants me to get rid of that bond woman. And, the, and, and God says, listen to her. It's one of the weirdest stories probably in the Bible because all of us would say, now, now, okay, easy, easy, you know. But since Paul here says it's symbolic and since we know this is an allegory that we're all supposed to pay attention to, when God says, listen to your wife, get rid of the bond woman and her son, they're not to even be in the house anymore. And since that represents the law, that represents the former, we need to pay attention to that. All that did was bring bondage. All that did was bring heartache because it was unable to, we were unable to keep it. Now we, brethren, Isaac was, are the children of promise, but so we're back to Abraham. We're supposed to be the children of promise. We're supposed to be the ones. When he says in, in Genesis 22, um, take thy only son Isaac. Well, he had two kids, but he still doesn't even acknowledge the former. He doesn't even say Ishmael's name. I only have one son. No, I have two. No, you have one. Isaac. Abraham, Skip, Isaac, and Jacob. No Ishmael. There's a reason for that. Nevertheless, he goes on, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. This sheds a whole new light on John 3, which is where we're going to close today. And I'll just give you the gist. John 3 starts off with Nicodemus, a Pharisee, coming to Jesus by night. Seeing Jesus, hearing Jesus, knowing Jesus' reputation... Nicodemus, being a Pharisee, was desirous of being close to God, wanted to have a relationship with God, doing all that he could according to the law to be as close to God as possible. We're making that assumption. That's why he comes to him at night, because he really wants the answer. For some reason, he saw something in Jesus that he didn't have. And so he goes up to him and begins to, you know, stroke him a little bit. I know that you're a great rabbi. I know that you're a man from God. I know all these things. And Jesus stops him and says, unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't understand the things of the kingdom unless you're born again. Nicodemus didn't get it. He didn't understand. How can I be in my mother's womb again? How's that going to take place? No, unless you're born of the Spirit. You see, you can't be Ishmael anymore. You can't be that. You've got to be Isaac. It's a whole different deal. You have to be born again. You must be born of Isaac. You have to be born of faith. That's what being born is. Being born again is. And so Jesus gently and lovingly takes Nicodemus, the one who's stuck in the same situation here as the Galatians are being brought into, that you need to shed that and come to Christ that relationship with God no longer exists. That way 
to have fellowship with him is an orphanage in comparison. It was pure, it was right, it probably taught you everything you were supposed to do. Eight o'clock, brush your teeth, nine o'clock, be in bed. All, there's nothing wrong with it. It was just empty and, law, and loveless. But that's all changed now. Now you're in the Father's house. His love for you is not based on whether you did brush your teeth at 8 o'clock. It isn't based upon whether you went to bed on time like you're supposed to. And if I'm a wicked dad, in comparison, if I'm a wicked person, and I can love my kids the way I love my kids, and although I'm not happy when they don't obey me, it still doesn't change my love for them, that never changes, our Father in Heaven is definitely far better. That relationship with Him, we have to remember that, that we are born-again believers in Jesus Christ. We are heirs with Christ. We've been adopted into His family. And He calls us to call Him Father. And that's where we close today. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. And we know You love us. We so thank You for these pictures. We so thank You for these allegories, for these they so help us understand the truth of our relationship with you. There is so much noise around us. It tells us what we should and shouldn't be doing, but they're messing with our relationship with you. And so God, help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you, Father. Help us to keep our arms raised up to you and you alone, Father. And help us to remember to call you that, Dad. To call you what you want us to call you. And to be your sons and your daughters. You call us Jesus, you call us friends, and you call us brothers and sisters. <laughs> Father, you call us sons and daughters. It's definitely a family. We're so thankful that you've adopted us into this family, God. We're so grateful for that. May everything we do now be because of that love and that wonderful grace that you've bestowed upon us, that you've just showered us with. Help us to follow hard after you, to be as much like you, to, to look like we're a part of your family, God, to be like that. Change our hearts to match up with yours. Help us to be around you as much as we can so that we can develop your characteristics in our lives so that you rub off on us and our, our orphanage experience fades away. While we think about this, Father, we think about the real-world application of a lot of kids that are in foster homes and as loving as many of those are, a lot of them aren't, God. A lot of kids come into these places and they're hiding food in their rooms because they don't know that there's another meal coming. They don't know they have free access to the kitchen anymore. They don't understand all those things. There's a lot of Christians like that too that don't understand what kind of relationship they have with you. Lord, first of all, I pray for the kids in foster care. Help them to know how much they're loved and cared for by you. Bless the parents that are taking care of them to represent you correctly in those homes. Be full of grace and mercy. Liberty, Lord. And I pray for the same for us as Christians that we would understand that as well. No matter what kind of background we have, no matter what kind of relationship we used to have, Lord, it's different with you. It's loving, it's gracious, it's merciful, and there's liberty. And your love doesn't change towards us based on our behavior each day. I pray that you'd help us to remember that. And then, Lord, once we understand that, help us to share that with others, that that's what you want with them. Lord, we love you. We praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.